He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward Mills. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Amen. Now, the Bible is saying we're going to have all these changing scenes of life. So far as we are on this earth, so while the earth remaineth, so far as the earth has not gone anywhere, so far as Jesus has not come, so far as we are on this planet they call earth, there are certain seasons in our lives that we cannot escape from. Seed time and harvest, day and night, summer and winter, cold and heat. And I want to say that you should expect that also in your marriage. There will be cold seasons in your marriage. There will be seasons of heat where you can't have enough of each other. And there will be seasons of seed time when you are just sowing, 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 and you are not seeing any harvest. But there's also a harvest time. And then there's a time of day and there's a time when it's night. You can't see anything. You can't understand anything. You even think it's the end of the world. But it's just a season. Amen? Amen. And seasons often last for a while. So there's a season of poverty in marriage. There's a season of plenty. There's a season of average. There's a season of patience. And there's a season of being rewarded for your patience. There's a season when you think you know your spouse. And there's a season when you say, I am in the bed with a stranger. Because we human beings are also always changing. There are certain things you think you know about your husband. Or you think you know about your wife. It's just a matter of time. She will change. Not because she was not authentic or genuine before, but because life itself evolves and you change. Your values change. The things you love or you like change. So sometimes when you marry, your husband says, I like um, Tuozafi. Then later he says, you, you are the one who said you like Tuozafi. The season has changed. It's now the season of Fanti Kinky. You say, you always said this. So, 
we shouldn't cast anything in concrete. So far as we are here, seed time and harvest, day and night, cold and heat, day and night, they will not cease. Amen. And then also, there are changes that happen to us whether we like it or not. For instance, there's something we call midlife crisis. Whether you like it or not, you will reach midlife. When a lady goes into midlife, that may be when she's perimenopausal or menopausal. Maybe she's going through menopause. She's having mood swings. She's having hot flashes. She's not sexually like how she used to be. Or rather sometimes, women rather change and become more aggressive sexually. But it's still a seed time and have a situation. And then you don't know that. It's not that she has decided to change. But the hormones that God gave her are changing. Now with men, when they go through midlife crisis, usually they are losing their hair. They are noticing that they can't see their shoes directly because there's a pot's belly <laughs> coming from somewhere. And they often don't handle it well. If the word of God does not take precedence, they begin to want to feel youthful again. Joyce Meyer once said that her husband was going through midlife crisis. He started to dress some swanky way with some sports cap. They want to become young again. And therefore, when they are going through that season, they are very thrilled by young female attraction. So when you come to church and all the younger sisters are saying, hey, you look so cute, you look so... It's not true, but you believe it. I once told Bishop Saki, I said, why should men believe it? When the things are not true, he said, even when it's not true, it's nice to hear. (laughs) So that must be the male perspective. But when we don't allow the Holy Spirit to take charge of all these different seasons, then we go haywire and we go in another direction. I was saying, Joyce Meyer said, began to dress swanky in some way. She was wondering what's going on there. He came and said, the car that I have, I'm changing. He said, there's nothing wrong with your car. Neither is there anything wrong with my car. But he said, oh no, where I've reached now. So he went out to buy a car and she thought, you know, some nice conservative car. He came back with some sports car that seats only two. And then when he's sitting there with his cap, then he'll be going. She didn't know that it was midlife crisis. But later on, she read about it. And after going around a bit with it today, the car is parked. He doesn't even use it. So it was a, a, a feeling, a passing feeling. And it's, that is when relationships become very difficult in midlife crisis. Because the wife is saying, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. And I can't handle it. There's a very good book by a pastor. He's called Jim Conway. And he writes about men in midlife crisis. And excuse me to say the foolish things they can do. And he says that there were four of them in the ministry. Very serious, very focused. But once they hit midlife crisis, everybody had a separate life. He's the only one still in ministry. The other three, this one has married some young girl. He saw a small baby. He was thinking, hey, 
Is he not thinking that he will grow old? But no. The young wife makes him feel cool. So he's going for it in spite of God's word. And then he, the writer, his midlife crisis was that he went to buy a boat and told his wife that he's sailing around the world but alone. He recovered from the midlife crisis, but I would say maybe when you read the book, you'll see a bit too late. Because as at the time he's writing the book, his wife is dead. And he says that his wife would walk into the room and say that, I don't know you anymore. What's this behavior? What's this you are doing? And he he would explain to her that it's not you. But the wife didn't understand. If it's not me, why are you just living your life as if you're an individual? You don't tell me about anything. It's not that it was right. But he said that as he saw her crying, he would look at her and be thinking, oh, it's a helpless situation. What do I do? So his three friends, they have gone off. They are not serving even God anymore. But he had the chance to recover. And as he's writing the book, he has overcome his midlife crisis. My point is, whatever the crisis is, it takes God. Even in your family life, there will be seed time and harvest. For instance, you get to a point when all your children have gone to school. And there's nobody in your house. When you were building, you felt you needed a five-bedroom. Because one was for you and your husband. One for each of your three children. Nowadays, that's how people build. And then one for your guest room. But as you look at your life now, there's nobody in the three rooms. Midlife crisis has caught up with you. It's not a crisis per se, but it's the changing of a season. Now, if you didn't build anything for your life as you went along, you and your wife are looking at each other like a painting. There's nothing to talk about. There's no relationship because the seed time that you should have sown closeness, communication, care, um, openness, and all, you didn't sow that. So your harvest is silence. Then you begin to say, Oh, my wife doesn't talk. My wife is, you are not minding her. So she has become used to your not talking. And she has moved on. You were married to your computer. And to the internet. And heaven knows what you've been watching on it. And because you've been watching strange things also. You forget that the internet you are watching. The pornography you are watching. All those people are actors and actresses. They are not real life people. They are paid to act so that they will turn you on. So after they've turned you on, now you come to the room and your wife, number one, she doesn't have blonde hair like that foolish girl on the pornography you've been watching. And she doesn't seem to be as tantalizing. Then you say, I have a very dull marriage, lady reverend. Nothing is happening. This is not what I bargain. I know people who have hit midlife crisis, chief executives, or I know one, I would not like to mention his name. He has moved out. He lives with a Legon girl. And the last thing I heard, the Legon girl too has left. Because when they also get to a certain stage, your jokes are not funny to them. And when they are hurrying up, they are ahead of you, you are now also catching up. It's not easy. (laughs) One mature person in my church came and said, he had found a beloved. As at the time, he must have been in his 40s. And I asked him, how old is a girl? 19. 
You see, if we would know that it's midlife crisis, I think that also informs the type of age men go for. Sometimes even midlife crisis hasn't come. They will come. Say they want to get married. I say, how old are you? Oh, I'm this age. How old is a girl? 15 years younger. I say, ah. But they are older people, more mature. Anyway, he said the girl was 19. I was tired of talking, so I didn't say anything. And later he came to tell me that he's leaving the girl. Why? He said that when she comes with her friends, they don't say anything sensible. Every day they are giggling around the place. I don't want giggling. I said, but what do you expect? What do you expect? At 19, even me, I couldn't have married at 19. I mean, Legon, we are giggling and we are moving on. And we are, what, 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 what do you want me to do? And you, your, your friends are very old. When they come, they say, this one has died. They are going for funeral and things. Me too, I just started my life. You know, that is not to say that those things never work. But I'm saying that even the different seasons can pose a problem. But lack of knowledge, lack of understanding leads many people, including unbelievers, to think they have a raw deal, the marriage is not good, they should check out, they should look for something that doesn't exist. They should, you know, some women are very disappointed and are now having affairs in their workplaces and it's a mess. But that is not light. That is darkness. And many Christians are not living by the light. They are living by darkness. They are living by the wisdom that is from the world. And that wisdom from the world does not lead you anywhere. But the wisdom that is from above is what God gives you when you become born again. But whether you use it and you walk in that wisdom, God can never force you. Amen. So there will be different seasons. For instance, when I married... We moved to our house. The first place was by my father-in-law, by the second place. There was red sand on the floor. There were no windows. There was plywood as windows and all that. Maybe if you saw my husband then, you would say that, hey, what type of hardship is this that I'm buying into? But today that he's a mega bishop, I want to marry somebody like Bishop Doug. But there are seasons. And whether you walk through that season with that person, it takes the grace and the wisdom of God. I've said this story before when I traveled and my husband was left with my, either my two daughters or my last daughter. So when I came back, he was telling me, oh, I've been looking after her very well. I make the snacks for her and I pack it. And one day he was on the site, a church project. And then he remembered that he had made the sandwiches, but he hadn't put away my daughter could find it or whatever. So he exclaimed on the side that, oh, I made sandwiches for my daughter or that he was calling that they should buy the things to make it. I forget the details. But he exclaimed on the side that, oh, my daughter's sandwiches tomorrow. I have to fix it. After that, he told me when I came back, oh, all the ladies there said, hey, daddy, you make sandwiches for your daughter. I wish our husbands would hear this. And learn from it. So when he told me, I said, oh wow. Did you tell them that you just turned 50 and you just started to do it? And that their husbands are 35. They should have patience. 15 more years, they will get there. He said, oh, you are some way, sister. You are some way. But that's the reality. Your season is different. And instead of recognizing your season, you are not content with what you have because the Bible says they comparing themselves with themselves 
are not wise. Every marriage has challenges. Every marriage has times when you don't agree. Every marriage has times when you feel the person is not sympathetic. Because God made women differently from men. Amen. A case in point, this morning, yesterday, I said, oh, I want to go to some extra services in my church, in the Kodesh. So, my husband had come from a camp, whatever, he was tired and he had gone to bed. So, I went to get a dress that I would wear to save me time in the morning. And then I called the houseboy and said, can you iron this for me? But please, put a handkerchief on it because of the type of fabric. I said, yes, madam. Then this morning, when I was getting my husband's sandwiches from the fridge, whatever, getting ready for him, he opened the door and he said, oh, the boy is ill. He said he has bent your dress. So he was at the door and I was in the corridor. So I said, oh, the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit really spoke to me that this dress will bend. Then he turns to the houseboy and says, go and throw the dress into the dustbin. What do you want? She cannot use it. Go and throw it. Then I hear the houseboy saying, oh, it's a very small piece and it can be fixed. He said, oh, go, go, take it. Then when he closed the door, he said, ah, but you have many dresses. This one, it doesn't matter. I said, who said it doesn't matter? (laughs) No, before I could even say that, he said, oh, you have many dresses. It doesn't matter. Then he added, Oh, mommy, get me my shirts and my socks and the water I'm wearing. I said, ah, my dress is bent. Instead of saying, oh, mommy, your dress is bent, eh? It must have been a nice dress for you. Don't worry, okay? God, nothing like that. You are rather asking me, where's your sandwich? Where's your shirt? That's not how to say it. Then he looked at me and said, ah, okay, so you are sorry it's bent, sorry. And, and mommy, I'm sorry, I wish I knew why it's bent. That fast like that. Now, if you are in the first year of your marriage, it can bring a storm. But if by the grace of God, you are on your 29th or 30th year, it's like water off a duck's back. You may say, oh, you can't say this, but you've learned to understand. God has allowed you and given you graces for so many things. So it's not this that you are coming to think about. You know, so I said to him, you have to show that you care. So, eh, that's what? And then when I taught the person, the person did not even say it with feeling. No. Ah, okay, I'm sorry your dress is bent. It's like to move on to what he wants. Now, when he is gone, you can meditate on it. This man does not care. This man is not sensitive. Before we know, even the church that you are going to, it has become World War II. Foolishness in slippers and high heels. That's the definition. But what brings you to this point is the changing seasons, the growing together, and all that makes older people look like professionals. But what it is is God's grace keeps you, equips you for each season. The only thing that stays constant is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything else, no. And sometimes you see challenges you've never seen before. And I don't believe that um, a good marriage cannot be suddenly attacked. I think it can happen. Because the Bible says that do not be afraid of sudden fear. 
sudden distraction when it cometh. Do you see? So there are things that happen suddenly, even in your work with God. But in the midst of that, will we still survive? What does Hebrews 12 one say? Looking unto Jesus. But many of us are looking unto each other. Looking for answers in each other. Looking for solutions in each other. Looking for things that we cannot get in each other. And it brings unnecessary strain on the marriage. So expect different seasons. When your children become teenagers, it's different. Now you'll be talking about beloveds and things that you never spoke about. And sometimes they can even bring friends you don't approve of. But when they were young, nothing like that will come up. You know, so when you have younger children, you can easily judge people with older children. And say that, eh, look at what her daughter is wearing. Didn't she see it when the... But you'll be surprised that they hide things in their bag. And when they've gone out, they change. Because you also did some. So there are different seasons. I am not saying that, like, you should accept every bad thing. But I'm saying that, know that God is able to turn whatever situation around. But then, we must be prepared to live by his manual. And his manual is the Bible. I don't see... I don't see any biblical, much biblical behavior in marriages these days. Even when people say they are in the ministry, I don't see. There's no fear of God. Sometimes we behave worse than unbelievers. And the reason why some unbeliever marriages will work is even though they may not be born again, they are applying God's principles and God's word works for them. It's like giving. An unbeliever may not believe, but he may give like Cornelius. And when he gives, he has activated something and God will show him his faithfulness. It's the same with marriage. I'm going to be very brief so that you can ask your questions, if any. But sometimes people ask me, Lady Reverend, what do you think is the cornerstone of marriage? What, what, what do you think marriage is built on? Then when I say the word of God, those who kabibi, kabibi, word of God. Because they themselves in their personal lives have never practicalized the word of God. You understand? So they feel that it's not a practical thing. You can't live it. But you can live it because God gives you grace. And it is also a light. It doesn't mean it's easy. You, your relationship with God is easy. God is one perfect person. You are not. Look at the problems you have with him. Sometimes you ask yourself whether he loves you. Sometimes you ask yourself whether he, he cares. And he has to come and write First Peter 5, 7. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares about you. Because you have doubts sometimes whether he cares. And whether he hears when you, how much more another human being. So there's no perfect life and there's no perfect marriage, but there can be perfect love. Amen. What does the Bible say? First John 4. Perfect love casts out fear. So our love can be perfected. The word perfection means maturity. So mature love 
will cast out all different types of fears and why they come. So be patient with yourself. You are married one year. You say you are going. You are married two years. You can't forgive. You have an attitude. You are married 30 years. You say, oh, you say, 30 years. I'm also going to look for something. Look for what? So let us expect changing seasons of our life. Your body goes through changing seasons. Your mind goes through changing seasons. Your spirit is supposed to get better. So that's also a changing season. Your body, whether you like it or not, will develop gray hair. Your body, whether you like it or not, will, will, will lose hair. Your body, whether you like it or not, at a point cannot be as strong and as vivacious. But it doesn't mean that you should allow the body to rule. You say, oh, Lady Reverend said, the body will so I'll just sit in it. No, there are things that we are supposed to do to keep our body under and to keep our bodies in shape. But the seasons come anyway. Amen? Amen. So I just want to encourage you that everything you do, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Would Jesus forgive in a situation like that? Some of you, your wife does something and you say, okay, I've seized your car keys. You walk to work today. What has happened? It's an abuse of power. What did Paul say? He says, I don't abuse my power in the gospel. But you, you're abusing your power. I got a call from outside Ghana. And the pastor's wife was saying, Lady Reverend, my husband has changed. I don't know him. Because A, B, C, D. And then she said, he has seized the car I drive. He has seized my keys. Before then, he had stopped buying petrol. And he says, we will see how we will live in this house. Why? If you also misbehave, should she also seize the keys to her body? And should she also refuse to feed you? And should she also refuse to even talk civilly to you? It's the way of the world. It's not the way of Christ. And then we say, I have to show her where power lies. Power lies in the hands of God, not you. If God calls you now, what? So we need to, um, we need to practicalize the word of God in our lives. People say, I'm leaving my wife. I'm leaving my husband. You talk to them. The word of God says it doesn't stop them. For me, one thing I fear is God. And I fear his word. So his word restrains you. Do you understand? God's word doesn't allow you to manifest the way you would like to manifest. God's word keeps you in check because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So because of that, God's word keeps you. But then people think, oh, then this woman, she doesn't have the same challenges. That's why she always looks so okay, so bad. What it says is that you have humbly decided to walk in the world because you don't know anything else. As for me, I don't have any other wisdom. Maybe you do, but I don't. And so that keeps me going. Some people have other ways and they are powerful. I'm very powerless without God's word. And God's word 
makes me do the things I don't even want to do sometimes. Like this morning when my dress got bent and there wasn't enough attention, I was also tempted to stop packing the sandwiches. But it was less than a second. I just continued to pack the sandwiches. Is it because I'm a superwoman? No. But because God's word, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And if you want, if you want, he will help you. Amen, somebody. So yes, marriage goes through different seasons and we should expect it. Every marriage needs a good dose of faith to survive. Every marriage needs a good dose of faith to survive. The Bible has said in Romans 1.17, I believe, that the just shall live by faith, 17b. Now, to survive in this life and to survive in your marriage, you need faith. Faith to believe that God's word is true. Faith to continue doing certain things that you haven't seen or gotten answers for. Faith that God will reward you. What does the Bible say? Let's say in Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, submit unto your own husband as unto the Lord. I always say that, Dam as unto the Lord, no new and your submission will be a problem. But when I think of Jesus, I say, okay, as unto the Lord, we'll do it. And what I say, husbands, love your wives as Christ. Christ in Yima. The love will stop somewhere because you say, hey, when I come to the bedroom, you won't bless me. You have an attitude. You don't respect. You speak anyhow. I'm out of here. But the Bible says, as Christ loved the church. You, the church, do you know how you've been worrying Christ? Do you know the headaches you have given to Christ? And he's still at work in you patiently, making you to be more like him. So if the Christ factor is also not there, it won't work. Amen. So it takes faith to marry, faith to forgive, faith to say, forgetting what lies behind. Some people tell me, Lady Reverend, ask for forgive, I'll forgive, but forget to pardon. But I have learned to ask God for grace for everything, for strength for everything, and God will supply. Amen. So it takes faith. What do you believe in? What type of God do you believe in? Do you believe in his word? The just shall live by faith, and we are justified by faith. So you are just when you've given your life to Christ. And the Bible is saying your modus operandi, your way of living is faith. Faith when things are not good. That God is able. That he can take ashes and turn them to beauty. Faith when you are disappointed. Faith when you've been betrayed. Faith when you have not been treated right. Faith when it doesn't make sense. Faith. The just. It's a way of life. Prayer is faith. You don't see God, but you pray. You don't see God, but you intercede. You stand on his word and you pray. And then later you see the manifestation. It is faith. It takes faith to come to church and believe that God says that we should fellowship together. So I'm doing it. Faith is a way of life and it is needed in your marriage. 
The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. In the same way, without faith, you can't marry. You need to have faith that God is able to talk to your husband concerning that thing that he's stubborn about. My book, I am leaving my husband. I said, why? He's very stubborn. I said, eh. Do you know any men who are not stubborn? Me, I don't know any. Do you? You don't know. I say, hey, I don't know. You see, especially choleric men, is the strength that makes them achieve what they, they achieve. And that same strength is the strength with which they say, no, I'm doing this and you can't change my mind. What are you going to do? When Sarah told Abraham, send a guy away. It's not part of his thinking. He doesn't mind Sarah. Sometimes husbands behave as if you are talking to the wall. He did not mind Sarah. But when he went to the closet to have his quiet time, God appeared bodily to him. And you know what God said? He said, listen to the voice of Sarah, your wife. I like talking about this verse because it shows me God's mercy. Because if it were a man, they say, Sarah... You gave Abraham bad advice and he went for Hagar. From today, nobody should listen to your advice again. But that's not God. God rather said, listen to the voice of Sarah, your wife. And I'm like, ah, if you've gone to somebody to talk to the person in the closet, why don't you say, Abraham, listen to me, God. Listen to me and do this. But you say, listen to the voice of Sarah, your wife, and send Hagar away because... The covenant child is Isaac, not Ishmael. But I will still make Ishmael great. Don't worry about that. But that's God. Sarah has talked, uh, explained with diagrams, illustrations, lab specimens. Abraham is not budging. The father of faith, oh, he's not budging. So some of those of you who think that when you marry the father of faith, he will not give you any problem. Hmm. You are welcome to the club. Amen? Amen. He loves God, but he's not perfect. You too, you love God, but you are not perfect. Everybody has a left leg, like Bishop says. So accept it that you have a left leg. When you speak to Abraham, he's not listening. God himself comes in bodily form. But the Bible doesn't record that when Abraham came out, he said, oh, Sarah, come. I can see that God speaks through you. What you said, I've seen that. There's wisdom in it. He doesn't say anything. He just comes out, calls Hagar organizes her out. And Sarah may even never have known that God intervened for her. She just thinks Abraham changed his mind and he came to do it. So ladies, learn to pray in your closets. We talk too much because talking is our gift. And when the men are not listening, we feel they have no head. That's when we bring diagrams, we bring Venn diagrams, graphs, bell charts, pie charts, sets to Pythagoras theorem to explain what we are saying. He has said, oh, he has just decided that he doesn't feel like doing. Amen? Amen. I'm not saying don't say. Even the men also, some of you have very stubborn wives. Especially the phlegmatic ones, quiet but stubborn. They won't say anything, but they won't do it. Amen. Am I dialing some numbers? You will talk to you, they won't do it. And they will be very pleasant about it. Ooh, 
The top, eh? I shall fix it. Okay. I will call Mr. Okai. Hey, yeah. Three months, Mr. Okai has not been called. <laughs> and they are very nice about it. But if you leave her, you go and marry a melancholic. She's also moody. So what has happened is your problems have changed, but you still have a problem. Amen. So don't let Christians have the mind that divorce is an option. And don't let Christians not follow Christ, but follow men. And say, this man divorced, this great man of God divorced. So me too. Somebody was telling me, he said, even this man cried divorce, then me. I also divorce you. This man cried, didn't have stamina, then me. But who is your example? Looking unto Jesus. Paul said, if I or another person or even an angel come and tell you another gospel, let us be accursed. It means that it is possible for Paul to have preached a different sermon. He said, when you see that happening, let me be cursed and don't follow me. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He didn't just say, imitate me. No. So, the way to decipher is very important. Marriage is God's idea. It's not any man's idea. And even people who want to marry the same sex, they also want to marry. It's amazing. God's institution, they want to be part of it. They say, why do you say we can't marry? We want to marry. And not only that, we want to have children. And now, we want to use other people, inseminate it in somebody else, and then we become daddy, daddy, and mommy, daddy in the house, and we are moving. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof. And if you ask me, what is the one problem you think is plaguing marriages? I think it's worldly lusts. We desire so many things and we think we should have them by all means. And we are being led by worldly lusts. Titus 2, verse 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying all ungodliness and worldly lusts, worldly lusts, worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously in this world. Amen. Amen. So when the grace of God comes, it's supposed to teach you to deny worldly lusts. But anything we lust for, you see, the pornography people watch, the things, it's all lust, lust, lust. And we think that we must have it at all costs. The Holy Spirit convicts, but Satan and demons, they drive you. They drive you and you become a slave. But the Holy Spirit never enslaves you. The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, of righteousness, of justice. But Satan will always drive you. Anything that drives you is a demonic stronghold and it's not God. And that's what we are following. Anything I feel like doing. Oh, I'm not happy at home. I need a girlfriend. You go for it. In the office, anybody would tempt you. You go and say, pray for us. So it's not easy. Did he say it would be easy? Did Jesus say it would be easy? Affairs everywhere, sometimes even in church. It used to be you came to church to protect your marriage, but now you're an endangered species. People come under the guise of anything, anything. Jesus said where the wheat is, the tears will also be there. And people are just allowing themselves to fall left, right, and center, including women. I've had to do counseling for women, infidelity. Where did they go and learn it from? I was with my mother over the weekend. 
she does a lot of counseling in the Methodist church. She was telling me, so much female infidelity from where? I said, is it no movies and soap operas? And that's what they teach. And that's your teacher. You are, you won't listen to podcasts. You, you won't watch anything. But every day, Nigerian movie, Kumbaja, and that is what you are using. So that's your Bible. And it's giving you light for your path. So before you know, you've changed without knowing or intending to change. Amen, somebody? Amen. Last. Last for comfort. Last for the goods of this person. My husband doesn't provide this, but my boss is a very powerful man. He signs checks for me. He gives me promotion. So I have to also pay him in kind. What did Joseph do? He left his coat with Potiphar's wife. If it meant running out naked, he did. And then when he rather did good, he was accused for doing wrong. And some of you at that point, your faith would have gone. But he kept on. And God showed him his faithfulness. Amen. Human nature is the same. Most challenges are the same. Husbands who are always changing remote control instead of talking to their wives. How many of you know about that? Some of them soccer. Liverpool is playing, so when you finish, you say, where's your food? One lady told me, catch us, uncle, you were Liverpool, no, oh, unswa, Liverpool, best no. I said, ah, what are you saying? She came to my office, me, my catch, no, oh, wow, Liverpool, best year, no. I said, ah, what are you saying? Because Liverpool, no, eh, Liverpool does everything for him in the house. Everything is Liverpool. So when he dies, he should let Liverpool. I said, ah. Real life story. Not, not imagined. And she was serious. And I said, don't say that. One of the best ways is, oh, here football. No, in front of the screen. I said, watch me. I'm more interested than Liverpool. He may say, oh, few of your partners have him. Your message has gone. Amen, ladies. And sometimes now you meet couples. This one is doing her WhatsApp. This one is also doing her WhatsApp. Two individuals. We have to consciously build a life together. You see, I brought my marriage manual. Because when I look, I say, hey, you people, you've been taught a lot of things. Oh, We had nobody to counsel us. We looked for, nobody was there. How did you live, Lady Reverend? By the Bible. We will always say, oh, the Bible says, forgive. The Bible says, do the, and that's what carried us through. And then we sat down, we started putting a marriage journal together when Bishop Saki was getting married. But that was one sheet, back and front. And today, you have a whole book. You have six months school. You are taught so many things. We the most rebellious generation. Which doesn't do the things that are taught. It surprises me. I was telling my husband, there's never been a time when there's so much word of God than now. Today, everybody has morning devotion on WhatsApp. Everybody. But that's when we are the worst. There's no character. There's no fruit of the spirit. But the word of God is everywhere. I'm on some WhatsApp groups. Some of them, they have unbelievers. They'll say wild things. Sometimes some wild profane picture. After that, they'll share morning devotion. The next morning, they are the first to put morning devotion. It's everywhere. 
My husband said to me, Mommy, it's religion, not a relationship with Christ. It's religion. And religion kills. But a relationship with Christ gives life. Amen. Most of us are not spiritual. And therefore, our lives are also not spiritual. You solve every problem with your mouth. But many problems will be solved on your knees. On your knees. Whether it's finances, whether to be solved on your knees. Whether it's change, whatever you are expecting, will be solved on your knees. Most of us also have very bad friends. And they influence us. Your friend will say, eh, hey, mean You have been ministered to, but you don't know. You the man, you've closed from work. Your friend says, Oh, let's go and sit at this drinking bar. So oh, I don't drink. He said, oh, you can order cook. What type of environment is it? Everybody is coming without their wives. And they are calling the small small waitresses in their small small skirts. And you you think that you will survive. The Bible says in uh, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust. It didn't say discuss youthful lust, fellowship with youthful lust, be around you. So it said flee. But some of us, we are not fleeing. We are rather entertaining. We have even built a guest room for youthful lust. And though when you have problems with lust, you say, Lady Reverend, it's not easy. But you have not made straight paths for your feet. You have made difficult paths for your feet. Why should you trust your flesh? Your flesh, it will disgrace you just now. Just now. Amen. Amen. You trust yourself. You go into a room with a sister alone. Dark lights. The music is playing. Then you say, shall we begin to worship? Wow. Wow. What type of worship would that be? You see, one of our pastors, this is not fiction. I always tell this story. I went to preach in his church. He's even now a bishop. I went to preach in his church. And then we had a pastor's fellowship after. So we were just chatting and I said that, in fact, as for men, sometimes you can be very foolish. He said, hey, mommy, like what? And then I gave him an example that I have forgotten. He said, hey, mommy, what you're saying is true. And I said, why? We're all there, including his wife. He said, hey, hmm. I was going somewhere and I met this girl. I warned her to Christ, invited her to church. I think she came. And then it was visitation. I started to go and visit her. Hey, mommy. When I knocked, it was her bedroom. She said, come in. And I opened the door. She was lying down. So... I also sat by the bed. Mommy, you won't believe it. She took off the bed sheet. Hey! She was not wearing anything. So I started to shout. I said, hey! So what did you do? So I said, open your Bible to Romans. <laughs> I got up. I said, with all due respect, you are a fool. You are a fool. Hey! I don't know how to describe. Hey, you are foolish. Oh. You are foolish. Then he knelt that Mommy, is true. Forgive me. I said, so what did you do? I said, oh. Me a Bible study no crap. Me we are you normal? By God's grace, nothing happened. But he was telling me the story to tell me how wild the girl is, not how foolish he was. He didn't know that he was foolish. 
And then I told her, I said, look, the Bible says free youthful lust. The girl even could have gone like Potiphar's wife to say that you did this. Yes. It's mommy, I couldn't believe it all. So after that, I left a, a memory verse to remember. He said, Pastor. Then I asked the wife, do you know this story? Look, we got up, wanted to pond him, beat him, everything. But it's a real life story. You sit there, the girl is not wearing anything. You are a human being. The Bible says, make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. And you, you have provided, hey, you have set a table for the flesh. And then when you finish, you say, I don't know what happened and I fell. We are worrying our marriages with all sorts of unnecessary extra baggage. And then when we finish, we say, I did the Bible and it didn't work. You didn't do the Bible. Henceforth, have we no confidence in the flesh? You have confidence in the flesh. That's why you've been watching those things on your phone. Your flesh will disgrace you. It will make you dissatisfied in your marriage. Because the styles that those people are doing, your wife, she went to you. Marriage is supposed to be an adventure where you discover each other together. That's why when you read Sons of Solomon, even Solomon is now discovering his wife. Oh, your breasts are like this. Your neck is like this. You're this. But some of you, you know all before. It's supposed to be an exciting time when we all get to know each other, build each other up and know. I met a prominent pastor in town who is our friend. And he told us, he said that his sheep married. And on the first night, the man came to church and said, the pastor, this is my wife. She made herself like she doesn't know anything. But when we went to the bedroom, pastor, I've called her PhD. <laughs> so the pastor said to him, oh, but you are blessed. I thought that you would be happy because all service, so fine, whatever. So pastor, me, you're happy, but do baby, no, I make a cry. Do you know that as I speak now, they are divorced? Oh, no. It was a very short marriage. He said he told the man, there's no way. The man said, no, 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 no. She lied to me, pastor, hey. I couldn't take it. You couldn't take it. But you yourself, are you a virgin? You the brother yourself. But God's ideal is that we will all discover ourselves together. Amen. And go on an adventure together. So when you have eaten the soup before, then later you, you inject mistrust into your relationship. A lot of it. Because it's not like you were just walking into a gutter and you fell. Every day, every day, it's your lifestyle. How will it work? If the singles were, I'll say a lot of you should marry, but you are not married. So the Bible says, let your wife's breast satisfy you. Let it. So I told my husband that it's not that, it's not, the honest is not on the woman, it's on the men. Let it, permit it to satisfy you. Permit it to make you satisfied, not to look for anything again. Allow. Amen? Amen. God made us to be attractive to men who were supposed to be pursued. 
And sex is supposed to be exciting. Sex is not made by man. I mean, the world. Sex is not the world's idea that they put on pornography, they put on this. It is God's idea. It's God who created the sexual organs. Not Satan or somebody. And God is very interested in your sexual life as a Christian. He says that it is, it is uh, your, your due benevolence. It's your, it's your reasonable service. And he says your body is not your own. The ladies. So if you think your body is your own, this is when he comes. Wow, he, has, he will see. But you think your body is your own. The Bible says it's not your own. But you have not been able to renew your mind. Some sisters are laughing and smiling guiltily here. And because we don't go by the word, we bring so many problems. And it looks like, oh, Christianity doesn't work. But God has already said it. So drink water out of thine own system. Let the breast of your wife satisfy you always. And be thou ravished with her beauty. It means that the honors to be ravished and all that is on the man. Be satisfied. Because some of you, you have stomachs. Yamamu banku. And also now there are a lot of diseases. A lot of diseases. You are just spreading because you are just following worldly lusts. God says that you can keep your body under. He will give you the grace to discipline your body. For your own good, not for his. So Christians must talk about sex in the bedroom. They must talk to each other. What makes you happy? What doesn't make you happy? But when your wife says what makes you happy, so as for women, they're always changing the goalpost. Amen, brothers. Amen. The women did not make themselves and the men did not make themselves. One brother told me that the wife, recently, the wife, they came in together and that he went to have a bath first and then came and then the wife went to bath when she came, she was dressing and all that. And then he was very excited. I said, hey, just now. Just now, why? Oh. So what should I do? Ah, just now you saw me. No, you are excited. Take your time. God has made him that way. What should he do? You say just now. He is not like you. We say in the marriage manual, a man is like lights. As soon as you put on the switch, it comes on. A woman is like a pressing iron. It takes time. And some of you men, you want to make the woman a man. She should come on now. She should perform now. She's a pressing iron. She's an iron used to a chair heating. That's why marriage is a selfless thing. So let's talk to us, each other about sex. Let's be open about it. Because it's God's idea. A lot of Christians are suffering. It's not easy. And they can't share their problem because it's like, it's a private area. But when you go to the hospital, you take off your dress where a gynecologist to do all sorts of things. Amen. Amen. And those of you who were in SU for too long, learn new things. Amen, ladies. Amen. Every day you are wearing a 90 like a sack. <laughs> it has to change. It's true. Go and buy exciting 90s. I can show you places. And you, the man, you should also buy what you want your wife to wear. 
My husband buys me my night clothes. I don't have to go to any shop to buy them. And when it's bought for you, don't fold it and put it in the drawer. What's why is it? You say, oh, we, Christmas, Namesha. What type of nonsense is that? Or you wear it, Look, it is supposed to bring excitement. You are listening to Honey on My Lips with Lady Reverend Adlai Thawad Mills. Stay tuned in. Welcome back. Praise the Lord and welcome to the question and answer segment of this program. I realize during my conferences and even after that we all come and we have questions, we have dilemmas, and we have issues. Everybody has issues, no matter who you are. The woman with the issue of blood was not the only woman with issues. Hers was an issue of blood, but we have issues in all our lives. And I am no wise sage or any super woman, but I know by experience, for the Bible says I have learned by experience, you know. So I know by experience that the Bible has the answer, that the Bible is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path in a very dark and dreary world. And it is the counsel of God that by his grace I seek to bring to the people of God. I have no wisdom of my own, but only the wisdom that comes from above and the wisdom that comes from the word of God. Therefore, let us just relax, trust in the Holy Spirit to bring us answers, trust in the Holy Spirit to be a wonderful counselor in this segment, and trust God to bring us answers. Beloved, I am not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Cause Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way.
mountains that you think you cannot climb. I know your skies are dark. You think the sun won't shine. In case you don't know, but the word of God is true, and everything He's promised, He will do it for you. That's the reason I say Jesus is. Blessed as you listen. Yes, I went to South Africa. One husband complained to Bishop, and I said, Bishop, my wife wears long sleeve shirts and jeans to sleep. When I asked her, she said she's cold. Not once, oh, lifestyle. Wow. Bishop asked her that the warmth is here, and you have gone to take warmth from clothes. How come? I mean, I was surprised, but it was true. One missionary wife. When she became pregnant, she went to so tie and die. I hope she's listening to me as I'm preaching. She went to so tie and die in 90. Hey, after giving birth, still tie and die to the end. I said, ah, your wife, your husband has come to complain. Ah, mommy, it's true. I'm now thinking of this, now thinking of the mar- It's like two years. The child is two years. Why? See, I mean, I'm not the type to be turning, turning around. Become the type. Humble yourself. Amen. The Bible gives you the liberty. When your husband comes, okay, you think that, hey, but who is this wife? I've gone to my, you'll be surprised that it's you. And tell him it's the changing scenes of life. Let's look for ways to spice up our marriage. Even your Christian life, if you just sit down, it will just deteriorate. So for every season, there's something to do. You know, so you can't just sit there and say, Oh, that's how it is. Spice up your marriage. And those of you men who don't go out anywhere, when your wife says, let's go here, you say, she's me, me, top blocks, why? <laughs> she's not saying go and, it's not always some upmarket place. But even just sitting somewhere to have kebab and even cook, it's romantic. Just time to sit around and just have one-on-one time. It's important. When Moses was going to God, God said, don't come with anybody, only you. So there are times for that. You, everywhere we are going, that you'll be calling your friends, they should also come with us. So we are never together. I'm dialing some numbers, I can see. Yes, and then we go, we've ordered the kebab, then you don't talk to me, the people on the phone, go and visit them. Go and visit them, you don't bring me here, go and visit them. What type of life is that? Checking on the children, the the women. (laughs) So please, marriage has to be nurtured in the right soil. Otherwise, it will also die. When you don't plant during seed time, there will not be any harvest time. Or you will not have the right harvest at harvest time. So it's good. Marriage is hard work, I'll tell you. It's not easy. Is your Christian life easy? No relationship is easy, and marriage is not easy. That's why Paul prophesied to you, they that shall marry, 1 Corinthians 7, shall have trouble in the flesh. It's a prophecy. 
Trouble in the flesh. Trouble in the flesh. And it was prophesied that that's how it is. So you have to count the cost before you enter. Amen, somebody. Spice up your marriage with the way you receive your husband when he comes home. You say, mommy, we've all gone to work. We are very tired. You know, not so long ago, I was watching TV and I saw Jimmy Evans. He's very good on marriage with his wife. And he himself says that he used to be a very difficult in some way husband. And then God changed him. So now he is also preaching to others. And uh, he said that one thing that used to hurt him was that every time he walked in from work and his wife was home, she would not even take her head from whatever food she was making. So when he greets or greeted, she would just say, oh, hi. You know, then after Jimmy Evans, the next week, I was listening to my husband preach. He said that you're you brothers. You thought that when you enter your house, there will be flags and whistles and they just say welcome and then they go back to look after the children. So I said, uh, so it's a male thing. So I've not told him, but I have changed. So now when my husband comes, I stop everything. And I say, oh, wow, you are home. Welcome, pa. I didn't know that men wanted attention. But I've learned by listening to somebody. They love attention. When they come home, they want the whole world to stop. And they want you to feel excited at seeing them. But they will also not tell you. That is a problem. I should tell them. <laughs> but these are little things that we do that spruce up our marriage. Your husband comes from camp, whatever, he's tired. You will never hug him. Say, good afternoon, Abba. Now you even call him Efia Papa. You don't call him any nice name, Efia Papa. And Efia Mami. That's how you call yourself. And why, why? I have a friend, the husband used to call him, why, why? Yes. But even if you will use your wife's name, let it be nice. Your husband's name, let it be nice. And sisters, one thing also that men cannot stand is disrespect. That one they can't. Disrespect. So did you remember when he shouted, what was he also expecting? Two wrongs don't make a right. I have learned that when they talk like that, don't respond. But when you respond, it will become World War I. You can respond later, but not at that time. The Bible says there's a time to speak and a time to keep silent. We need to learn those times. And all those things don't come. You married, no, you know everything. There's nothing like that. It's a journey. It's different seasons. But God will bring you through every season. Amen. So I think we can have your questions. Either you can write them and drop them. They'll come for them. Or you can also speak in the mic out here. You can also drop them. Most people prefer to write and drop. And they will trust God to be able to answer. Maybe there's something I didn't touch on, something you want to know. But I think marriage is built on prayer, on God. And we should pray about marriages. We should pray against demonic attacks. We should pray against the deception of the enemy. We should intercede for our spouses. 
we should pray and commit our mind. What does the Bible say? Commit your way also unto him. Trust also in him, Psalm 37, and he will bring it to pass. So there needs to be some commitment. In all your ways, acknowledge him. But when you finish marrying, you say, God can't do anything in my marriage again. He wants to be involved in every area of our lives. Amen. And your marriage should also affect the kingdom of God. Because of your marriage, the kingdom of God should be extended. Because of your marriage, the kingdom of God should be better. But some of you, when you marry, no, the kingdom of God rather suffers loss. That should not be the case. Finally, as you write your whatever, I've always said, God has not created any one person to fulfill all your needs. There's nobody like that. Do you see? There's nobody like that. And sometimes in preparing for marriage, we get deceived. And you think that when I see Akwesi, then I'm full. Akwesi will be your daily bread for the rest of your marriage. There's nothing like that. You are different people. First of all, you are male and female. You are different. Secondly, you have different backgrounds, how you were raised. Thirdly, you have different expectations. Fourthly, you have different desires. How are you now going to blend all that? Is the staying together helps to blend all that. But you cannot expect one person to fulfill all your needs, your need of self-worth. Maybe you don't think you are anything. And then you say, when I marry, my husband should make me feel like a queen. But you already feel like a rag. So he's not the one who is going to make you feel like a queen. It's the Holy Ghost in you, the word of God in you, the mirror of his word. That's going to give you your identity. And when you have that identity and you marry, you are already fulfilled. So you come fulfilled. Yes, you meet some other needs, but there's less pressure on your spouse to supply everything. Say, today you didn't tell me that I'm looking nice. So because of that, I'm sad. Hey, sir, then you'll be sad forever. Because sometimes men only comment when it's not nice, but they don't comment when it's nice. I'm not saying they should stay that way. But look at you, God has been working on you and it has not been easy to change you. How much more you changing another human being? It's not easy. So we shouldn't expect him to give you all the happiness you need in the world, all the self-worth you meet in the world, all the... Nobody is created by God that way. Sometimes I get tired of sharing the same things, but I realize that there will always be new people and there will always be different... uh, There will always be different uh, meetings. So like Esther, she's married to the king. The Bible says she will, eh, the king loved no other woman like Esther. He made an elaborate wedding for her, everything. But as she went to live with him, for 30 days, he has not called her. You live in the same household. Some of you, you go into deep depression and we might easily become a mental case because the king is not minding you. But before you married him, he also had his own problems. So sometimes, not even that he's not minding you, but he himself has problems he cannot solve. And you thought that when he came into your life, he will solve all the problems. Instead of Jesus is the answer, you put that Peter is the answer. Amen? Amen. So then Esther is not called for 30 days. So when Mordecai says, go and tell the priest, hey, no, I've been here 30 days, he hasn't called me. And if you are not called in the palace, you can't go. Otherwise, he will kill you. And Mordecai says, okay, 
something, God is going to use that to strike you down. And deliverance can rise up from somewhere else. So Esther sits up and then she says to her maids, we are going to fast and pray for three days. Mordecai, you also go and fast and pray for me and I'll go in to the king. Now what does it show? You may be the favorite wife. You may be the most beautiful girl in the whole country. But King Ahasuerus will not always meet all your needs. He may have bought you a nice car. He may have put you in a nice house. But for 30 days, he has not spoken to you. He has not communicated with you. You are not able to share your problems. What are you going to do? Check out? No. You are going to have a life of your own. That's why you have maidens in your life, sisters. Some of you, as soon as you get a beloved, you throw all your friends away. Some friends are not worth having. But some are also the ones that spice up your life. Amen? So when your husband goes on trek, you have church activities, you have spiritual people like yourself, you have things to do. So you are not in depression. He's gone for trek. He's gone on visitation. He's not coming. Me, this kind of life, I can't. What about if you were married to a seaman or a pilot or a doctor? What would you do? So you need a life of your own, especially the ladies. You need to know God for yourself. You need to be happy in God in yourself. Then your husband will come as an icing on the cake. Otherwise, a lot of women suffer from very deep depression. Very, very deep. Because they don't have anybody else in their lives. So when this doesn't work, they go like that. You are going to mental hospital. You are leaving your children. The man is moving on. He's marrying a second wife. Who loses? You. So please, our lives are in Christ and not in any human being. Amen. Are we ready? You can start with some. I don't know. I thought the people here are married, but anyway. This question is seemingly from a single perspective. Is it wrong to marry somebody older than you as a man? Example, if your beloved is eight years older, I would say that there's no verse like that in the Bible. And uh, the Bible just shows us that Adam was created before Eve, but we don't know even if it was years or months or seconds, we have no idea. So God has never said anything concerning that. But we just have to know that marriage is a covenant. And whatever you say, you are going to do. And it's not just a covenant between you and your spouse. It's a covenant between you and your God and the spouse. So if you say you are going to marry somebody eight years older and you can be faithful to it, fine. But I have been here. People have come. So, they remember she's 10 years older, but I'm fine with it. And then later, because you, the person yourself, you are not even a committed person. It shows in every area of your life. Because I know people, even in the Kodesh, who are 10 years older, 8 years, and it's working perfectly. You can ask Bishop Fabian. And then some other people, a lot of problems and complaints within less than a year. So there's no hard and fast true, but the Bible says before you do anything, sit down and count the cost. So I would say in every situation, 
you count the cost. Even when the person is the same age or younger, you still count the cost. All the things you see, can you live through it? Then that's your own decision. Amen? So I think that's it. How do you live with a jealous wife? It's a big topic. But anyway, I know that sometimes we women have some insecurities. And we may also have some jealousies. It is also because sometimes we don't trust each other. And we can see through each other, I think. So then we think if this person is coming close to my husband, she has a mind and she knows what she's doing and, and we react. And sometimes we may overreact. So I don't know. Some jealousy is God-given, in my opinion. Adrian, why do you say that? Because God says, I am a jealous God. For I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God. So it is part of God to be jealous. And when he was talking about the cup of blessing, Paul said that the cup of blessing, the same thing you do, you also sacrifice to devils. And that I, God, don't want that. So even God doesn't want you to relate in a certain way to him and do the same with demons. So even that is also God's nature. My husband says it's a female part of God, it's a jealous God anyway. But when it goes overboard, then that may be a problem. But before I even go further, let me ask you the man, what do you do that stirs up jealousy in your wife? Sometimes you see sisters in church, you are offering to give them a lift, then your wife is walking. It's not a myth, I know what I'm saying. When you see Lady Reverend, you open the car for me, take my bag, but your wife, even her shoelace, you don't. So she sees all these differences and sometimes it stirs her up the wrong way. So it depends on what provokes the jealousy. You are at home, you are on phone all the time with this particular sister. She never gets, your wife never gets your attention. And when you, she says it, you say she's jealous. Now, let's flip it. If she came home and every evening she's on the phone with her boss, would you like it? You tell me, Reverend, that's different. It's not different. It's the same. And then there's the other side where the person is overly jealous. You shouldn't smile at anybody. You shouldn't wave to anybody. You shouldn't be kind to anybody. One person you have married, it's like, you shall have no other gods before me. <laughs> that is a different scenario. But many times we put everybody in one basket and I don't think it is fair. One man in our church told me that, Lady Reverend, I took my money and I went with my wife to Dubai to have a good time. Can you believe it? Instead of being happy, every day, my secretary called me for one hour. Not a work secretary, a secretary that helps him with his ministry or whatever he does. 
And she would just chat with me for one hour. When I come back, then she's angry. After all that I've paid, she ruined the holiday. I said, oh, really? So you don't understand. And the wife was telling me that this particular lady, she's not a proper person. She knows that we've gone on, on holiday and she wants to make herself the sandwich. So every day, so she came out once and said to the husband, what are you talking to her about? So she said she wants to leave her job and I'm convincing her not to. Because if she leaves it, she won't know what to do. And I said, ah, but yesterday you convinced her. Saying she didn't listen. So I'm still trying to convince her. So I said, she wasn't happy because it's not that she doesn't appreciate the expensive hotel, the whatever, but the fact that you are always going away to spend time with somebody else. She just wants you to concentrate on And then also imagine yourself the other way. Anyway, by God's grace, he said that when he imagines the other way, it's not a nice picture. Lady uh, Reverend, I now see what you are saying, but it was not after shouting and throwing his hands, I'm not taking a holiday again, this is the end, and all that. So I see that we are, and this year, somebody has come to report the same thing. I took her on a cruise. She will not be, every day, she says, why do I watch up for two hours? He doesn't see you, because he has spent his money to bring you, so you should be happy. It's about the money aspect. But for the woman, it's about attention and time. So what makes her jealous? Is it spending time overly? Measure the time you spend with her and the time you spend with outsiders. I don't expect the same time spent on, let's say, work or outsiders to be spent on me. But there are times when you walk home, you should be able to turn off your phone. Now, the amazing thing in my life is that when I take my phone and I'm even answering, my husband will say, I've walked in, please turn off all phones. And I get very surprised. I'm like, who is talking? <laughs> who is talking? And then he goes to tell Bishop Saki and go, my wife, who? Always on the phone, who? Praying, counseling, what's happening? In my opinion, it's not true, comparatively. <laughs> in my opinion, it's not true. But that's what he says. So now, I learned to put my phone away. And then recently he said, I think I have to institute a law in this house. When I come in, I don't want you to take any calls. I say, it's a... So now sometimes I go to the bathroom to take important calls. <laughs> but when I compare, I'm surprised. Like he says, me, he's always having meetings, but when the shoe is on the other foot, he cannot stand it. All attention must be on him. And it's fine. But on the other side too, you must understand. But I wouldn't describe him as jealous. But I would say that he wants my attention to be on him for this short time. Do you see? It's not jealousy. I mean, what my husband says, no phone, no this. It's not jealousy. I don't see it as jealousy. I see it as the person is saying, concentrate on me for this time. That's all. So it depends on what you are describing as jealousy. But if her birthday, you don't remember. And then a Valentine's Day, so I remember the girl I work with. I'm taking roses to her. Meanwhile, she even bush, grand Toby Manda. 
So sometimes we have to sit down and consider what the other person... You see, what brings marital problems is that what I value, you don't value. And what you value, I don't value. But if I say what you are valuing, like your bent dress, I will value it. <laughs> and then what you value, like your golf clubs, I will also value it. It will help. What does the Bible say? Count others better than yourself. So if I count your interest and your values better than mine, and you also count my values better than yours, then we are a winning team. Do you see? So it's important. It's important. You don't value sex. Your husband values sex. Don't say, oh, only this one too. This is not that people get married. I say, lady, you have friend. Hey, this small, no, I said, banging of doors, anger, storming out. I say, it's not small for them, oh. It's a major thing. For a woman, you are shocked. Huh? Win so. But for a man, it is everything. It is everything. So you have to. I, I, I realize that when I think through it, I said, You know, Lord, we need to renew our minds. You know, we say in the marriage counseling, your greatest sexual organ is your mind. We need to reorient, overhaul the woman's mind because she doesn't see it that way at all. And also the things that excite men about a woman, she doesn't value. Oh, this is a small bra like ebony that she removes, she's going. You can't drive. Oh, how can that be? So the value she puts on her body is not the value you put. You know? But when you see that, hey, you can't drive, you are salivating, you are going into the gutter. And because she's not saying, ah, this small, what's wrong with you? I just bathed, I came, no, why? (laughs) So our values are different. And we need to learn to value. And then when your husband asks you, so what do you want me to do to show you that I love you? Oh, talk to me, hold my hand, call me. Somebody went to tell the beloved, call me baby. And the man said, I don't want to call all my stories are true. The boy is from Kumasi. He doesn't know all these romantic things. And then he has come to take you, beloved. So, I don't want you to call me by my first name. When you see me, call me baby. So, hey, we baby. But it's because he doesn't value what she's saying she values. So we all incinerate the other person's values. We make it baller. But it shouldn't be. And when we are able not to do that, I think that things will work better. Amen. So find out why your wife is jealous and see what you can do about it. But there are certain insecurities a husband cannot heal. We have our own insecurities from rejection from childhood. That's why Jesus comes as the healer. And he heals our broken hearts. Broken heart is not always from a man guilty you. Broken heart can be disappointment in life, the issues of life. And Christ came to heal all of it. And this Yokojo, he cannot heal it. Only God can. So I think you have to balance it there. Amen? My glasses, anyway. Ah, okay. I hope I've answered your question somehow or your statement. How do you live with a jealous wife? 
find out why she's jealous. You can also seek pastoral help, and then you carry on from there. Lady Reverend, whenever I have issues with my husband, he uses it as a sermon. <laughs> what should I do? There's nothing you can do. You have to develop crocodile skin. It will happen anyway. And even things that are not you, church members will say is you. So that one, too, what are you going to do? And then also, know that, you know, the Bible says that he that pleads his case first, seemeth just. So he has pulpit power. And he's saying it the way he wants to say. A few times, my husband has said something. When he comes to me, I say, you said this? Not even about me, but maybe a statement. I said, you know, you made this statement. Ah, is that what I said? I never said that. I never said <laughs> When he comes to me, he says he didn't say that. Under the influence of that night. <laughs> we have to get to the place where, like the songwriter says, I know who I am. I know who I am. So it's not you saying I'm this, it's not you saying I'm that, but I know who I am. And also what does the Bible say about the virtuous woman? Let her works praise her. With time, people will know who you really are, you know. And they are saying things from their perspective, which is not so. And sometimes it's not that you are in the sermon, but you have taken it personally and owned it. I know a woman who is... Uh, this morning, because of what happened. Look at how he's putting this thing on it. He's not talking about you. He's talking generally. If, I, if you pastor, you will see that a lot of problems are common. So, and then also like Bishop says, you smile and look forward. Nobody will know that it's you. <laughs> Do you see? And then sometimes too, without trying to control or manipulate him, you can say that, mm, brother, this story you said in the pulpit today, I think you added sugar oil. There's a way you can address things without it becoming United Nations. Do you see? But some of you, you say, when it comes to your home, something else. But there's a way you can go about it lightly, but the lesson will sink home. Amen. So, you have to die to self and overcome public opinion because you, you can't, you can't. People just assume that it's you. So, how do you encourage your husband to be helpful at home when both of you are workers? Hey, are you on this African continent? <laughs> I always say that the Bible says about the virtuous woman that she rises up early to give food to her maidens. So that means that she also had servants and she had help. Even though she was a virtuous woman, she couldn't afford to achieve everything on her own. She needed people to help her. I don't personally, I can only share my personal, I don't personally factor my husband into housekeeping because I know that I will be disappointed. And number two, I didn't grow up in a home like that. Now you young people are importing a lot of things from outside Africa. And you are watching internet. And you are saying, we both work. So when I wash up on Monday, you will wash up on Tuesday. Beloved African woman, you are staring up World War I in your home. But we have the privilege of being able to have help. So I will say that organize adequate help for yourself. 
And organization also means training. Because in my personal experience, everybody who has come to me comes to me green. And I have to nurture them from the beginning. Often even to flush a toilet, they don't know how. But to nurture them, train them, they'll be breaking your things, spoiling your things, more, 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 more. Then at a certain stage, you get there. And when you get there, it doesn't mean you have achieved everything, but it is very helpful. I have people, by the grace of God, I've lived with for more than 25 years. I have some people I've lived with 16 years, 18 years, but it doesn't mean it's been rosy. Sometimes I blast them. Sometimes, even yesterday, I sent one to buy some groceries. And then I was coming from Takradi. So when I got to Accra, I was coming by air. When I got to Accra, I also did my own grocery shopping. And then when I came and I said to him, how much were the tomatoes? The price he gave me was three times more than what. So I went ballistic. I said, you think I'm those madams who don't know the market, eh? I'm sorry. Go and bring me my change now. But... You know? So pray for adequate help from God. Everything I have has come from God and by asking Him. And then don't factor the man in. When he wants to make sandwiches, like mine began to do at 50, then he has decided to do it. But not that I've divided the work and then this and that and that. You see, we also live in a culture. And Paul said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, so don't go and import something and say that uh, that is a modern life. White people have their culture. Their culture is to kiss in public, hold hands in public, but it doesn't mean they have good marriages. But when Africans say, oh, they are very close. They are not close, but it is a culture. You hold your husband's hands wherever you are going and you kiss in public. But inside, my goodness, turbulence. Some of our even... Foreign branches, the, the issues are worse than Africa. But when in Africa, your husband <laughs> walks ahead of you five miles and then you walk behind, you say, he's not romantic. But the romantic ones too has a lot of problems. Do you see? So don't let import things that are not... Culture is also part of our living. So don't go and do what white people do and say that it is right. If you need help, look for help outside your husband. If he wants to help, fine. But you cannot compel him, I think, to be a part. Because many of us were not brought up that way. Your husband was not brought up that way. It's a different kettle of fish altogether. And he feels that he provides. And we have decided to go out to the workplace and add Adam's case to the Eve case. So our things are double. Women really get tired. And women really get stretched. But you have to look for ways to maneuver. By saying that you should get help, I'm not saying that you should become like Rachel and Leah, where you are now delegating work that should be done by a wife to servants. Now you say your husband should have children with them. They should do this. They should, now you are a madam. You do nothing. I don't think it should be that way. It's a privilege to serve your husband. And it's a privilege to take care of his needs. When he goes to the office, somebody else can take care of his needs. But when he comes home, Make sure you are the A1 wife that is not easily found on the streets. That type of wife. The wife who is thinking through what to give to the husband. But as for your everyday ice water, it's an orange juice. 
Hey, I pineapple juice, watermelon juice, four boxes, hundred four boxes, huh? I say, hey, lady Reverend, let me cry juice. Me, I'm in numbi. You see, your mind is not working properly. <laughs> we are called to a life of selflessness, servanthood, sacrifice, and it runs. There's no greater place than marriage that you will die on a cross. Marriage, you will die. Hey, unless you die, you abide alone. But if you fall in the ground, it will germinate and you will reap the harvest. If you don't have anyone and he wants to help, there's a way of talking to him to help. I had a friend who was Bishop's mate, very good cook. And he used to cook. But when he married, went to visit him. And he told us that he has stopped cooking because when visitors come, then his wife will say, hey, there's you, you are doing, you've left it all, go and continue. So he got angry. <laughs> he has stopped the cooking. So now he won't do it at all because now they will be calling him, come and stay, where's the rice? This, he doesn't want. You know, so there's a way of talking to your husband. If it's very necessary, he will get involved. My husband makes breakfast. My, husband's, my husband lays our bed. But I don't come and tell him, hey, today you haven't laid the bed, what's wrong with you? No, he lays it. Sometimes, a few times, he doesn't. It means he's forgotten. I just lay it. I don't say, hey, you're awake. Oh, today, you didn't do it. It will make them rebel. You know, so use wisdom. Use Abigailism and you will win. And the brothers too, when you see your, husband, your, your wife suffering, you say you are copying Bishop Dag. Hey, try. Bishop Dag lays bed every day. Makes toast for his wife every day. Makes a cup of tea for his wife every day. The only problem is that the wife can chat. Uh, she forgets about the tea and becomes cold. That's a problem. They do ever have this problem and don't know what to do. I'm in the relationship which I feel I made the mistake of my life. Are there single people here? I'm married school. Okay. I rushed as a young lady. And now that I'm changed... When I was not a Christian, I moved with this guy, and up to now, we are not married. And he's not a Christian either. And now I know God and love God, and I want to work for God. But this guy is not allowing me. What do I do with two kids? You leave him and you pay the price. I was just sharing a story today in my office about a lady. Who gave her life to Christ? She's now a lady pastor. And she was going out with somebody's husband and had two children with the man. And the man was madly in love with her. And when she got born again, my ministry was the first ministry she came to in the church. So as we went through New Believers School, whatever, whatever I talked about, the fact that we have to die to our desires, to what is precious to us. Our Isaacs have to be sacrificed. And one day after a meeting, she came and she said that this man is in her life, but it's difficult for her to leave him. She also had two children like you. And the man provides everything. She said, Lady Reverend, even laces I don't need, top quality laces, he will pile a pickup and bring the laces to me. Lady Reverend, he pays my rent. He, he, he looks after my car, my children, everything. So now how can I leave him? I said, well, I'm not God, but God says that when he calls you, you need to die. 
you need to give up something. So I left it at that. I told her what God's word says. And then she called me that. She told the man that the relationship cannot continue. She wept buckets, if not oceans. It was very difficult for her. The day she told the man she was leaving, that's the day he came to her house with the most money, the most laces, the most bags, the most everything that she liked. This woman, she likes dressing. So anyway, she still said no to the man. The man said, so how are you going to pay your rent now? And she, she was working. And she was doing well in her work, but she, had, she was not as powerful as a man. So she said, I will move out. When she had said she, she, she would move out, her house was uncompleted. I don't think there was even a roof. So she called me that now her light has been cut, her water has been cut, and the landlady has called her about her rent, and she can't pay. But she has a few materials so she can do something. I said, okay, let's believe God. You will build used stones for somewhere. I used uh, wood. I used my example, how I moved into her house. And then we'll see what the Lord will do. So she moved out. And I went to visit her in that uncompleted house and prayed with her and asked God to honor her obedience. Today, as I speak, she has benzes, cars innumerable. She has houses innumerable. She travels wherever. And recently, Bishop Saki was telling me, this lady, she never ceases to mention your name about what you have done. I said that amazingly, what I, I, I told her to do was hard and it was sacrifice. But God has shown himself strong. She's very happy today. Very fulfilled. And she's happy that she left the man. But remember that there was a time of crying, a time of weeping, a time of poverty, a time of hardship. Every Christian must go through that. But you Christians of today, you want to have your cake and eat it. There's nothing like that. When you follow Christ, you weep. Sometimes I cry to obey God. Sometimes I get broken to obey God. But what will I do? I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. The standard for me is the same standard for you. So I cannot sugarcoat it. You must leave that man. You must live by faith. You must trust God. You must find a a job. You must live on your own means and trust God for tomorrow. And God will show you his faithfulness. As a man, is it advisable to marry a lady who is not financially sound? Hey, and is going to depend on you tentatively, even together with her family. Hey. <laughs> Usually men are happy to look after the woman and everything that comes with her. Uh, well, my husband was telling me that now they say that men are looking for rich women. Forgive. The world is changing. But usually when you marry a, a person, you are supposed to look after the person. Isn't it? Yes. So, it's true that she may work and you may think that her salary will help, but you are the breadwinner. You are the head of the house. Headship, you know, it comes with responsibilities. It's not just head. So you are the head. So you have to look after her. And if you have to help with her family, the Bible says, he who does not take care of his own is worse than an infidel. You have to help. So if you think that she's not earning much, then invest in her. Invest in adding value to her. If she has to be better educated, 
to get a better job, if she has to get more skills, if she doesn't have any profession, whatever you will do to lift her up, it's your job as her husband and her future husband. So do it. But don't tell me that she's not bringing anything to the table. Okay? Her salary is just supposed to be an extra and add. And also know that life is in seasons. Today you are up. Sometimes she will become up and she will help you. Marriage is it. This hand bars this and this one bars this. They say proverbially. So that's my take on it. When your wife is green about sex and you continue to teach her and she will not change, how do you deal with her primitive sex mood after talking for about five years of marriage? First of all, I think that you are judging her. You say it's primitive, but that may be her favorite position. Who judges primitive? And who ascribes the standards? Maybe she also finds yours primitive. Amen, brother. (laughs) Maybe you should also look at your teaching methods. Your way of relating to a woman will usually determine how far she will go. If you rather start with praises, oh, today you've improved though. It wasn't bad. What about if you add this and that? She'll be more willing to follow you than you say that, oh dear, da, da, missionary position, maybe that's her favorite position. So please, it's the way you also teach her. And then maybe she may have had some bad experiences about sex. You say she was green, but maybe something fed into her when, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying that usually when a woman loves you, she would like to do everything to please you. So if that's not happening, something is wrong somewhere. So maybe your criticism of her has made her lose self-value, self-control. You know, we say in the marriage manual, don't say, hey, is that how small your breasts are? Ah, I didn't, don't say <laughs> When you marry, the Bible says, as refining pot to silver, so is a man to his praise. So when you praise people, rather the best comes out of them. When you criticize all the time, she will rather become worse. So start to praise her for the little things. And then as you teach her, so you, dear, you are the guru and you are teaching her. So as you teach her, she will come along. And then also don't be shy to come and talk to your pastor about it with her. So that the pastor can ask her and maybe she will talk about what exactly is holding her back. Amen. Amen. Primitive. Forgive. Why, how do I calm down when he's angry and shouting? Because immediately he shouts, something inside of me makes me shout as well. What is inside of you is the Holy Spirit. So don't allow that other something. It's not inside of you, it's in your flesh. I just go gaga as well. And it makes me feel I disrespect him. But that is not the issue. That is the issue. You shout at your husband, you have disrespected him. And two wrongs don't make a right. When your boss shouts at you, do you shout back? You don't shout, but you say, oh, sir, it's not that. Oh. Yes, that's something in you is afraid of your boss. It means that you know where to draw the line of respect. And when you get born again, 
Every area of your life is affected. Your speech is affected. What does Ephesians 4.29? Let your speech minister grace to the people that hear you. That's why I have a problem when they say, oh, the person was just talented and she just used to sing profane. What does the, if you say you are born again, what does the Bible say about your lips? They should minister grace. Does it minister grace to your people who are hearing you? I didn't write the Bible. So you need self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit. So when your husband is shouting like that, I'm not saying what he's doing is right. But I'm saying that your obedience is unto God and not unto man. So because of that, let me give you a strategy. Count ten. Say to yourself, Minkasa, Minkasa one, Minkasa two, Minkasa three, Minkasa four, Minkasa five, Minkasa six, Minkasa seven, Minkasa eight, Minkasa nine, Minkasa ten, Minkasa. And that when he has said his bit, he shouted, it doesn't make it right. But you see, you are walking in Holy Ghost class. So when he finishes and he's gone, later when he comes, oh, now what I was telling you this morning, I was saying that when the children come from school and this, eh, and on to them, so I'm saying that, you know, because of that, what does the Bible say? A soft answer turneth away wrath. So anger can be turned away by a soft answer. But you said, Mina Wakasa Chem is like, yeah, only baby Amifi. Then when you finish, you come to church Tuesday evening. The, whole, the Bible says that the same lips in the book of James, they bring out bitter water and they bring out sweet water. How can that be? I have learned. You see, you're always learning. Never think that when you are married for 30 years, it means you know everything. But I have learned not to speak at the same time as my husband, even if I have a case. Now, that's not my training. My training in law is to listen to you, look out for your loopholes, and I have to respond immediately. So when you say something, let's say we are in court, you say something, I have to be listening and I have to be able to object immediately before the case continues. So I have to stand on my feet and say, objection, my Lord, based on this, this, this. Otherwise, the thing will go and then I will not remember. But when you come home, it's not a courtroom. That you are gathering all your, your things. <laughs> you see? Sometimes you don't know, but Christ should be stronger in you than your profession. So I've learned not to speak. If my husband says, Hey, mommy, I heard that this is it, and you said that this is it, and you, whatever. I don't say anything. It doesn't bother me. So when he finishes, sometimes maybe he walks to the room, or I will not follow him. But when I was younger, I would follow and I would be explaining and I would be crying. It's not that. You see, when you said, hey, I trimmed. <laughs> so I just listen. And then I take from what the person is saying. Oh, okay. If you are saying that this, that, that, and that, then I apologize for this. I look for something to, of merit in what he is saying. Then I leave it. Then at the appropriate time, 
especially when he's relaxed. I'll come and say that, you know, this thing you were talking about, it wasn't like that. Too. This happened, this happened. That is why I said that this. And oftentimes, you'll just be quiet and you'll be looking at me and say, ah, I didn't know that. Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Amen? Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers. Bible says seek peace and pursue it. Why would it say pursue? It means that peace is always eluding you. But you have to pursue it. There's a time for everything. You don't just talk at peace. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi. Or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you. Thank you.